This sermon was recorded at the Midtown Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Good morning, family. Our scripture this morning is Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. Page 811 in the Pew Bibles. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Well, good morning. Hey, my name is Ricky. I'm one of the pastors here. Let's pray. So, Father God, um, I come up here feeling this tension. I've felt this the last couple of days as I've prepared this sermon, this tension of both standing before your people and um, making everyone uncomfortable (laughs) with what you're saying here. Uh, I promised before we jumped into the Sermon on the Mount that you were going to get us into really uncomfortable spots. I feel like we've delivered on that. And today, in your wisdom and for our best care, uh, you take us to one of the most uncomfortable places, and that's our pocketbook. So that's one side of it. The other side of it is, here I am getting to declare the beauties and majesties of our true treasure. You are magnificently beautiful and infinitely worth everything. And so God, I pray that you would clear out all the things that keep us from seeing that. Would you give us eyes for you, the beauty and the majesty of Jesus? Would you cause us to put everything and like push all the chips in on you this morning? And would you reorient everything else that's disordered around that? No doubt every one of us um, is disordered 
And because of that, you lovingly speak to where we are. So God, get me out of the way. I pray your word would go out from here and um, bless us and serve us such that we are happy, joy-filled people who treasure you above all else. That's what I pray as we leave uh, this morning. So God, you do that. You do that. In your name, amen. Okay, let me ask you a question. Okay, we're in the Christmas season. We're all going shopping and all those different things. Hey, how many times have you gone out shopping for a gift for one of your closest friends? You're looking at the, the things, you're, and you found something. You found something that's awesome, something you could be excited about, something you could be proud to give one of your close friends and had the thought kind of like cross your mind. Oh, man, this is kind of nice. I kind of wish I had this for me. <laughs> like, man, look how generous I am giving this to them. I should reward myself somehow. I'll get this for them and me. Like, I can do both. I can do both of these things, right? Like, how, come on, how many of you guys have done that? I know, yeah, there we go. Everybody raised their hand pretty much. Yeah, right? Like, I can both be generous while shopping for myself. Or thinks about, think about Tom's shoes. I don't know if those things are in anymore, but... Tom shoes. Here, here's something where you can buy a new pair of shoes and they'll donate a pair to someone poor who doesn't have shoes overseas. Now, I don't want to be stingy, so I better go buy myself a brand new pair of shoes so I can bless and be generous. Like the CEO of Tom Shoes was like, okay, how do I get wealthy Americans who have dozens of shoes in their closet that they never wear donate shoes to people who don't have shoes? Consumerism. Right? Like, finally, I can finally feed my shoe obsession while feeling generous about it. Awesome. That's a product for me. I I can be generous and not have to let go of anything. I can have heaven and earth. I can have the good life of the kingdom while holding on to my life. I can do both, right? Now, this is propensity in us to hear Jesus' call and the invitation in the Sermon on the Mount to live this good life within Jesus' kingdom and try to put like one of our arms around, like, I don't know if this has been a temptation for you over these last few weeks to kind of put one arm around these invitations that he's been given us of what it looks like to live into his kingdom and put on these beatitudes, but then with the other arm kind of like stay holding on to everything else that we bring into that kingdom. Like we want to like hold on to these things and we're kind of got a tight grip on everything that we're walking in with, right? Like Jesus speaks directly to this tendency that we have. And this is why Jesus speaks more about money than he does about sex, more about heaven, more about hell. Money is a big deal to Jesus because he knows it's a massive obstacle for us. Jesus says in Matthew 19, just a little bit later on in the same book, he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. By the way, if you live in America, you're the rich person Jesus is talking about, right? By any comparison to anyone else in the world, by any comparison from anyone else who's ever lived, we are like the 1%. We are the rich person, right? Jesus says it's easier for a rich man to go through a needle than to enter the kingdom of God. And our response oftentimes is, well, money isn't really the problem, right? Money's not the issue, 
right? The Bible says it's the love of money that's the root of all evil, 1 Timothy 6.10. Money's not bad. Excuse me? Like, did you hear what Jesus said, though? He said it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, period. He didn't say a rich man who loves money. He says it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's money's not neutral. Money makes it harder. Money is dangerous. If you have money and you depend on it, it will kill you. If you don't have money and you crave it, it'll kill you. Jesus knows that after unpacking these invitations of what it means to embody his kingdom ethic, his values in the kingdom of God, he knows that after he's made these invitations, as we come to an end of these invitations, what it looks like to actively pursue his kingdom, he ends by talking about our money because he knows it's going to be very, very difficult for us to both have his kingdom and hold on to our kingdom. He knows that's our temptation. So today we're going to see three contrasting approaches to money and what it means to sort out our priorities in light of the kingdom of God. So the three movements we're going to make is there's two kinds of treasure, two ways of seeing, and one way to live whole. So there's two kinds of treasure. There's heaven versus earth, right? That first section. Two ways of seeing, light eyes and dark eyes, and one way to live whole. You can either serve God or serve money. So let's jump in. There's two kinds of treasures, verse 19. Here, Jesus contrasts two ways for us to handle our money and show the, uh, that the way you handle your money reveals where your treasure is. Turn back to your Bibles if you've closed them. Verse 19, Matthew 6. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So first off, there's the earthly way. Now, obviously, money, possessions, clothing, cars, homes, furniture, and all these things are necessary. But beyond that, man, you want to get some security, right? You need some security. You want some comfort, the house in the good neighborhood. It's big enough. It's safe enough. You need to decorate it. You want to get the right kinds of clothes and the gadgets and the toys. And of course, you need to store up some money for your 401k and retirement, um, a growing savings account. You need to have enough stored up for your kid's college fund, not to mention their inheritance and a nest egg in case anything goes bad and wrong that you can kind of fall back into. And that seems wise enough. Like I didn't say anything here that's necessarily bad. Nothing here that's necessarily wrong, right? While none of these things are inherently wrong, Jesus confronts this apparent wisdom in this passage. He actually um, subverts it, not through altruism, not by saying to never store up anything. Did you catch that? Like, look, put your eyes on verse 20, the beginning of verse 20. Do you see that? He says, Jesus tells us to store up things for sure. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is actually a command from Jesus. Store up things. He wants you to actively store up things for yourselves, but don't do it. Don't put them in a place. Don't store up things in a place that's susceptible to decay and loss and theft and destruction and deterioration. Store up things that have a shelf life, not things that will spoil. That's what he's saying. That's the point. 
Where you live, what you buy, what you consume, what you wear, what you save, what you're thinking about buying, what you wish you had, what you keep scrolling and adding and removing to your Amazon wish list and your car and the things you're planning to buy after the new year, all those things have a shelf life. You see, it's not a matter of if uh, your money and the stuff will eventually be lost in a matter of when, right? It's a matter of when it will happen. It's not a matter of if it gets stolen, it's when. It's when it gets old. It's when it gets out of style. Your car is going to get hit and it'll never drive the same, right? The things that you buy will go out of style. Um, the, some of the stuff will go up in the house fire. And none of those, if none of those things happen in your life, surely you are going to die. And you know the saying, you can't take it with you. That's what he's getting at. All these things have a shelf life. So where should we store our treasure? Jesus says your treasure should be stored up in heaven. Store them up in heaven. What is the truly wise person in how they relate to money? Instead of storing up money in an unsafe place that is guaranteed to be a loss, he says a wise person invests money in a way that can never be lost, in the permanence of the kingdom of God in heaven. Which brings up an important note here. When you see the words heaven here and the kingdom of God later in this sermon, it's the same thing. Now that's an important note because when you read heaven here, don't think just this future promise. It is that, but also think the kingdom that Jesus has inaugurated and is bringing now, right? That's in a way the point of this whole sermon. Jesus went around preaching this sermon and preached that the kingdom of God is here because I am here. I've come and I'm announcing the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, literally bringing heaven to earth. This is a sermon where Jesus is giving us his heavenly ethic brought to us. So when we think about investing in heavenly things, we're investing in the advancement of the eternal kingdom of God here and now. It's not only a future to be anticipated, it is something to be lived. It is a kingdom not like dying and going to heaven. It is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? When Jesus says, put it in heavenly things, he's saying, put it in the eternal kingdom that I am bringing. So the point here is clear. Jesus is ushering in a permanent and eternal kingdom. You can either store up treasure in the world that is passing away, or you can make big, big, big investments in his eternal kingdom. And if you do, they will never be taken from you. That's Jesus's point here. Now let's move to two ways of seeing. Verse 22. Put your eyes on verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Um, this verse always used to confuse me. Like there's a lot going on here, right? This verse always confused me, mostly because the issue on both sides of this passage have to do with money. We just saw that we should desire heavenly treasure, not earthly treasure, right? Uh, which means, verse 24, after this passage, we should desire God and not money. So what is this saying about the good eye and bad eye that's like sandwiched between these two things that Jesus is talking about money? I've, I've always been kind of thrown off by that. Well, we could infer that it has something to do with light. If you're laying up your treasures in heaven and not earth, you're 
walking in the light. Or if you're serving God and not money, then you're walking in the light. I think that's pretty safe to infer. Like we can just go ahead and cross that off the list. We got light down. What about the eye? This is where I've always been kind of thrown off. Between these two descriptors of light, Jesus says that the eye is the lamp of the body and that a good eye produces fullness of this kind of light. So what is the good eye that gives so much light and the bad eye that leaves us in the dark? Like, is he saying the eye gives out light like a lamp? Is he saying that the eye takes in light, like how we think about it, like scientifically, that the eye takes in light and is filled with light or is filled with darkness? It kind of feels like, I don't know, it's kind of confusing. And then what on earth is he getting at with healthy? Like, what does he mean precisely about a healthy eye? I've got lots of questions when I come to a text like this and I just start peppering it with questions. I think that's what good Bible reading looks like, asking the text questions and expecting it to answer them. So I noticed as I was asking these questions that I noticed that there was a letter next to the word bad eye. Now I've already checked our pew Bibles don't have that letter, but maybe your personal Bible does. If you open up your personal Bible and look at bad eye, is there a letter there? That is your common, or your um, translators trying to give you some clues, trying to tip you off to something that's going on here, trying to give you some cross-references that would kind of help you. Because if you're confused by this good eye and bad eye thing, you're kind of not alone. Jesus was likely giving uh, an idiom to his people. He was saying something while we're confused, they weren't. They understood exactly what he meant in a moment. Much like if I said, hey, what's the elephant in the room? You guys instantly know what I'm talking about, but someone from another culture would be sitting here and go, this guy, what's he talking about, right? Much like that, Jesus' listeners knew exactly what he was talking about. So let's follow this clue and see if we can get clued into it. Turn, uh, in my Bible, that note has a reference to Matthew 20, verse 15. So I just did that this week. I flipped over there and tried to see what I could find. Why don't we go there now? Matthew 20, verse 15. 15. Let's see if this clue can clue us in. So Jesus had just said in this parable that men who worked one hour will be paid the same as those who worked all day. Okay, he's given this parable of this master who hired these men throughout the day to do work in a field, and Jesus, at the end of the day, pays them all the same, right? And the guys who worked all day grumbled that the guys who worked one hour were paid too much. Look how Jesus responds to those men in verse 15. He says, do you begrudge my generosity? Interesting. You know, I was sharing this with my wife this week, uh, this, this passage, and she pulled open her NASB version, and her version says, is your eye envious because I'm generous? Which made me go, I need to go get my Greek Bible. So I pulled out my Greek Bible, looked at it, and the phrasing of, do you begrudge my generosity, is the exact same phrase as, is your eye bad? Interesting. Is your eye bad means to begrudge the generosity of God. With help from Matthew 20, we can see that bad eye means begrudging God's generosity. What does that mean then? It means like what's bad about this eye means that their eye does not see the mercy of this master as beautiful. They can't see it. 
They can't see it because of their envy. They can't see the mercy of Jesus as this beautiful, marvelous thing. They just see it as ugly. They hate it. They see, but they don't see reality. They don't see the light that's in it. They're divided. They both want to do the work for the master. They want to do the work for the Lord, but they don't have an eye to see Jesus's kingdom ethic. Think back to the Beatitudes, that the merciful will receive mercy. They don't see the mercy and generosity is more precious than money. So they're envious. Now bring that understanding of the bad eye back to Matthew 6, 23, and let's use that to help us figure out what the meaning of the healthy good eye is. What does it mean to have a good eye that fills us with light? Well, I think it's like the opposite of agreeing to do the work for the master and yet begrudging his generosity, right? So to have a healthy eye that is filled with light is to be wholly and singularly devoted to the generosity of Jesus. It's not to be divided. It's not to have one eye on this and another eye over here. It's to be wholly focused, um, devoted on the generosity of Jesus, devoted to loving his generosity and not trying to put one eye on him and another eye on what you lack or another eye on what others are getting and you're not getting. Jesus knows that because of our money, there's this temptation for an envious eye. We can put one eye on Jesus and so often with our other eye, it's naturally drawn to something else or someone else. Think back to Jesus's words on giving and prayer and fasting. Here you have someone practicing these spiritual disciplines and yet they have an eye on other people giving them praise. They want a pat on the back. They want others to notice them. Jesus knows that we have this tendency to both agree with Jesus or try to step into the things of Jesus and yet wanting praise and we begrudge his generosity. What are your eyes naturally drawn to? Like, what do your eyes naturally draw to? What do you have your eye on? What are you spending your time looking at? What are you most concerned with? What bothers you? What drives you? What is the thing that you think that if I had that, if I could just obtain that, if I could just uh, pile up enough of this, then I would be okay. I would be successful. I would be accomplished. I would be safe enough. What are your eyes most naturally drawn to? What is it that you believe will make you the most happiest? See, there are things that your eye is drawn to and where your eye is drawn to, your heart is drawn to, and where that's drawn to, your money goes. So ask yourself this question. What will it give you? What's your eye drawn to? What is it going to give you? And will it last into eternity? Will it fill you with the light into eternity. Now, don't forget, it's not wrong to lay up treasures. It's not, long, it's not wrong to want to store things up. In fact, you can't help it. You long for eternal happiness and joy and completion. It's just your eye is always drawn to the wrong thing. So how do you know if your eye is filled with darkness? It's because it's possible that you could be laying up treasures, but laying up the wrong kind and your eye is darkened. And Jesus wants to tell us that you cannot do that and serve him, which takes us to our next point. There's only one way to live whole, verse 24. 
No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So my question is, why not? Like, why can't you? I, this is how I read my Bible, by the way. I, the Bible tells me something, I go, why? I wanna know why. Show me more. What must be true that you cannot live divided about serving God and serving money? Like, how on earth is it that you serve money even to begin with? Like, how does that even make sense? Like, money doesn't tell you what to do. Like, money doesn't have a mouth on it giving demands to you. We all spend money lots of different ways. How is it that we serve money? Like, it doesn't tell us what to do. It doesn't tell us what we should and shouldn't do. What is this actually getting at? To serve money means that you are taking all of your behaviors. Catch this. To serve money means you're taking all of your behaviors and you're calculating all the movements of your life to maximize what money can give you. That's why I'm asking, what are your eyes drawn to? What fills your imagination? What do you want? How are you maximizing how money can serve you and give to you? Always asking what benefits it can come to you through money, the money you are making, the money you desire to have, what benefits can it give you? That would be serving money. Because the value that you've placed on it, you are taking and calculating all the elements of your life to get more out of it for yourself. Now, let's take that same framework and see what it means to serve God. I'm gonna say the exact same thing. I'm just gonna sub God out for money. What does it mean then to serve God? To serve God means that you are taking all your behaviors you're calculating all the movements of your life to maximize the pleasure you can get from God. Always asking what benefits can come to you from God through Christ. Well, you certainly can't serve God and money that way, right? You can't serve God and money doing both of those kinds of things, maximizing pleasure out of them. You can only have one. You're either angling, working your budget and your time and your energy and your efforts and your imagination to make God your treasure in everything, or you're angling to make money your treasure in everything. That is what it means to serve God or serve money. You are maximizing your enjoyment and your pleasure out of that thing. So what would it mean then to maximize pleasure in God? What does it mean to serve God with our money? How do we do this in a way that actually serves God? To go there, I wanna end by going to Luke 12, 17. Turn to Luke 12, 17. That's to the right in your Bible. So we're in Matthew. Then there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 12, 17. What does it mean to serve God with our money? If you can't serve both, one has to be subservient to the other. So what does it mean to serve God with our money? So a man's crops have overproduced. This is the parable that Jesus is telling. This man's crops have been overproducing and he's got way too much, way more than he's planned. And he asks himself, look at verse 17. What do I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. His answer 18, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. What is a rich man gonna do with all the leftover money he has? 
Like, what's a rich man going to do with all this extra money? Build bigger barns. What's our natural tendency to do with the raises that we have? He says to himself, verse 19, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Then comes this astounding statement. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What on earth does it mean to be rich toward God? It's a weird saying. What does that mean? What does it mean that, <laughs> that we can be rich toward God? I was talking through this with Tracy. She's like, man, like God doesn't need any of our money. He has the cattle on a thousand hills. What does it mean to be rich toward God? No, being rich toward God doesn't mean that he needs our money or that we could somehow like enrich him in any way. He doesn't need our money. Of course not. I think it means that we live in such a way that we count God himself as our riches. We are enriched by him. We are rich because of him. If you're looking to be rich, if you're looking for fullness of joy and richness in your life, entering his kingdom is going to be very, very hard for you unless you focus on him, unless your eye is on him, unless he himself is your actual treasure, unless he himself is your great reward, then you will be rich, rich in God and fully satisfied. Therefore, laying up treasures in heaven literally means that you maximize God as your treasure in every way possible. The ways that you handle money in such a way as to maximize your actual treasure in Jesus, that he alone is the way that displays your love for him, that uh, the way you display your love for him is by treasuring him above all else. And it actually shows that he is your God, that he is your treasure and not money to an onlooking world. That's the way that we maximize ourselves toward him. Okay, what I wanna do with the rest of our time now is lay out some handholds. Man, that's the point of this text. That's the invitation before us. And what we can tend to do in the moment like this is go, yes, I agree. Yes, that's true. But the reality is, is if this is true, my guess is every single one of us, myself included, have some action steps, have some homework. We have some reorganizing to do, some reprioritizing, some adjustments that actually need to be made in our lives. And I don't want to just end this sermon and be done without some help, some uh, unifying community-wide ways that we can hold on to this together as a church. So what I want to do first is just name three steps that could be easy, low-entry ways to just begin chewing on this this week and then, I, then I have five particular encouragements for us. So first, um, three steps to take hold of this. If you're taking notes, they each start with an A. There's awareness, assessment, and arrange. Um, aware, assess, and arrange. And it's really like rearrange, but it, rearrange doesn't start with an A. So um, maybe a parentheses, re, and then arrange. But awareness, assessment, arrange. Okay, awareness. Hey, the first step is you got to know it, where, where things are going. I mean, if, if, 
if, um, if you place your, if your treasure is where your heart is, then we need to take a look at our budgets and our calendars to see what it is we love, right? If you don't know where your money's going, then you don't know what you love. That's what I'm getting at. So this first thing is just gain some awareness of your budget. Gain some awareness of where your money goes. Pull open your spreadsheets. If you don't have a budget, you need to start doing a budget. Go back over your credit card statements. Go back over your spending habits. See where your money is going. If you don't know where your money is going, then you don't know where, like you don't have an idea of where you're at. How much money are you spending going out to eat a year? How much money are you spending on different subscription services? How much money is going to this? How much money is going to that? The goal here is just to get a raw data awareness of where you're at. What are you naturally drawn toward? What is it that your budget and your calendar actually tell you about what you love? Just get some awareness of where things are going. My guess is most of us would be a little startled if we had the actual data sitting in front of us in one way or another. Number two, make an assessment. With the data in front of you, ask yourself some assessment questions. Why am I doing this? What, what is it about this that I'm trying to get? Why do I keep doing this? Ask some assessment questions about whose eyes am I doing this for? Like, am I just living my life where things just coming at me and I'm just making decisions? I mean, certainly I'm making these decisions for reasons. What are the reasons behind these decisions that I'm making? And does this maximize God as my treasure? Is, the, is, the play, is this budget line maximizing God as my treasure? What opportunities do I have to leverage my money toward heavenly things? I think that's a really important question for us to be answering. Hey, God has gifted and stewarded or given us the opportunity to steward our finances, our gifts, our um, talents toward his ends, how are you doing at stewarding that? How are you leveraging the money, your position, your influence toward heavenly things? And then finally, arrange. I mean, sort out your priorities such that God alone is your boss and he alone is your treasure. In other words, get things in the proper order. Get an awareness of where things are. Ask yourself some assessing questions. Why do I do this? What goals do I have here? What am I orienting myself to? And then do the work to reorder those things around maximizing God's mission. Get everything moving in the proper direction such to maximize your treasure in Jesus alone. And even in those moments where you're like, oh, that hurts to make this shift. If I'm gonna make that shift, that's gonna be a hard one. I don't even know if I want to make that shift. Hey, sometimes you have to make some shifts in order to let your heart catch up. Like sometimes, you know, like if, if, um, if you only pray when you want to, then you're not praying enough. Sometimes you have to make some changes and the changes make you behave in a way that lets your heart catch up to that. No doubt you're gonna have to do that with your budget as well. Let me give you five encouragements. If you're facing this arranging, you're trying to reorder your priorities let me give you five ways to think about that. Um, specifically ways that I want us to be instructive about what it means for us as a church to kind of like grab the same rope and pull it together. Some of them are gonna be more visionary. Some of them are gonna be uh, pretty practical. Some of them are going to be some encouragements, okay? I've got five of these. I'm kind of gonna rattle through these at a clip. The first one is set aside your first fruits for Jesus' plan A for advancing his kingdom. 
set aside your first fruits for the local church. The local church is Jesus's plan A for advancing his kingdom. And what I'm talking about here is our Sunday tithes. When we pass the plates here, what is that plate? Like what's the purpose of that plate? That is for funding the ministry of Redeemer Fellowship. And we invite you to give to the mission of the local church. Man, we wanna be faithful to the witness of scripture in a way that we think about financial giving for our church. And this is, if this If Redeemer Fellowship is your local church, then we ask you to commit to a regular giving of our mission and ministries as we aim to advance God's kingdom, both in our city and around the world. Now, the word tithe here um, comes from this Old Testament word, meaning a tenth. While tithing is an Old Testament principle, I do think it is a helpful starting place as we think about how we ought to give as a New Testament church. So tithing is not like this mandate. It's not a command in terms of the amount you give, but I do believe it is a helpful guidance for a starting place as we consider what it means to give to the local church. So to say that is, hey, we're not checking your receipts. We're not making sure everybody's getting that 10%. We would just encourage, hey, let 10% be a guide for you as you begin considering what it looks like to give to the mission of Redeemer Fellowship and as we advance ministry here. Now, what I do at at my home is Tracy and I will set aside the week between Christmas and New Year as like an evaluative week for us. If you're wondering like some handholds, hey, we're just a couple of weeks from that. So I thought I'd share with you. We usually set aside that week to ask big questions. God, what burdens are you putting on our hearts? What, what, where do we need to grow as a couple, as a family? Um, Where do we need to make some adjustments in our time, like our behaviors? Where do we need to make some adjustments in our budget? We always ask that last question. Um, uh, We always ask, God, do we need to raise our percentage to giving at Redeemer this year? We're always asking that question once a year um, as we kick off the new year, asking big questions, God, what would you have us give ourselves to? And we're asking these questions in that order because we wanna go, God, what have you called us to? What are you burdening us to? God, we treasure you. We want to be about your heavenly things. And then how do we bring our finances and budgets up under that call? And how does this sort this out? So we're always asking those kinds of questions in that season. Now, let me say, if 10% seems impossible or difficult for you, Um, I think the goal here would just be to start. Hey, begin where you can. Begin where you can. Start where you can. And each year, ask God if he could, or if you should bump that up. The goal here is to start. Don't fall into the lie or the trap that you don't, that someday when you get the raise or you have enough cushion, then I'll start to give. Because our tendency again is to build bigger barns. Or maybe part of your work would be to kind of do some uh, investigating work and go back to your last raise and what did you do with that? Like, because usually, if I know myself, um, you get a raise and then it's like, I need another raise now. And it's like, I need another raise. And you just kind of bump things up. So um, don't wait for that time when you're gonna have enough uh, movement or space in your budget Remember, generosity is about giving out of your need, not your abundance. True generosity is giving out of your need, not your abundance. Okay, that's number one. Number two, let me give you an encouragement to set aside money to give to the poor. This is like over church history would be called almsgiving. 
Alms are these like intentional gifts to the poor and the most vulnerable in society. Throughout the Bible, God's heart is profoundly burdened for the poor. And there's this clear command for the church to take care of the poor among us. This is exactly what we're talking about when, we, when Ron talked about our Christmas Eve uh, benevolence gift. Man, we rely on that gift each Christmas Eve to allow our mercy deacons to distribute that among uh, our body and those even uh, in our through our city partnerships who are in need. We're connected with city partners and uh, with our mercy deacons to distribute those funds. So set aside money and be ready to give at Christmas Eve so that we can fill that fund back up for the next year. Number three, set aside money for special causes and needs. I would call this like offerings. Set aside money for special causes and special needs. Over and above your regular tithing, over and above your almsgiving, there are times when we as a church rally around specific needs. For instance, affordable Christmas. You guys rallied and delivered amazing for affordable Christmas. That was awesome. But there's also opportunities that come up on your radar from time to time where you should give. There's opportunities, there's um, needs that come up on your radar at times. And my encouragement to you is begin planning now for how you'll give to those when they pass your way, right? If somebody comes up to you in your community group and goes, man, my car broke down, I'm having a hard time at work, I need $300, and they made that need known, man, most of us hear that need and go, okay, let's see I can move this around. I can do that. I need to go back. I'll pray about this. And then maybe in a week, if they still have the need, I can move some things around and meet that need. How awesome would it be if you earmarked some money already that you said, this money is dedicated, set aside already. It's our, I've already decided this amount of money per month goes to opportunities that God just brings my way. Like when, when and, and then he'll take care of it. When, op, when he'll send opportunities my way, my job is just to distribute the money. I'm just, the, I'm just the distributor. This isn't my money. So now when that need is uh, voiced again, my only job then is not how do I get the money, it's God, is this the need you want me to uh, minister to? Is this the place you want me to distribute to? And then maybe erring on the side of erring and just giving it, right? Maybe that looks like um, doing those kinds of givings, but it also could look like you partnering with other godly kingdom uh, ministries in our city. Think about mission-sending organizations, other ministries like Hope is Alive, and what would it look like for you to partner with them and giving them monthly donations to their ministries like uh, Avant Ministries, which is that international missions program, and we have a couple that serves with them, and you could give to them. Also, it could look like you partnering with one of our missionaries, right? We have our missionary cards right out here in the gallery. What would it look like for you to go, I mean, each month I'm going to commit a certain amount of money to a missionary at Redeemer Fellowship. Side note, the Kuglers are in need of more partners right now. Uh, Josh and Caroline Kugler, their, uh, their um, expenses have gone up this last year, and they're, they're, in an, they're in a tight spot where they're going to need some more partners. They're actually coming here for a respite. I think they're going to be here next week, and we're going to bring them up and share that need with you. Maybe this week you begin considering what it'll look like for you to financially pledge to them. Okay, number four. Um, this one's a little less practical and more of just a burden as I was digging into this text. This one's for parents. Proverbs 13, 22 says, 
A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Can you imagine the amount of planning and work it takes to leave an inheritance for your children's children? That's a good thing to do. That's valuable, that's good, that's godly. But I wanna say, hey, we can get caught up as parents trying to provide all kinds of things for our kids. We can get caught up working and managing and trying to do all of these things to pay for our kids' school, their activities, their college and inheritance, and get caught up doing all of these sorts of things and put all stacks of value into that. And as I was reading this passage this week, I was just thinking about all the statistics of kids walking away from the church. And I just wanna say, don't forget that there's a better inheritance you can leave your kids. Don't forget that there is a better, longer lasting inheritance you can leave your kids. The greatest inheritance you can leave your kids is trusting and treasuring God. Train your kids to treasure Jesus more than even the inheritance that you leave for them. There's something more valuable you can give your time to. Number five, don't treat money as neutral. As we close our time, I I wanna circle back to verse 21. No, I didn't skip it. I just left it for the end. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What will ultimately determine whether you serve God or money? Which one do you love? That's what will determine it. Which one do you love? You see, you only lay up treasures towards the things that you love and money is not neutral. Where is it that you lay up your treasures right now? Jesus says, take a look at your budget, take a look at your time, take a look at your energy, take a look at all your efforts and follow the breadcrumbs and find out what you actually love. Money is not neutral. You are either be using money to serve God or you're serving money. There is a power in money that is not neutral. There's a power in money that's not neutral. There's a dark draw of money that tells you that you can have it, that you can be self-sufficient, that you can make your own way apart from God. And if you want a healthy eye that is full of light, and I think all of us do, we want generosity, we want um, hope, we want to be filled with um, uh, fulfillment, we want to be filled with goodness. And if we try to get that through darkness, you'll die. If you try to get light through darkness, you'll die. You can't find light through darkness. You can only find wholeness through God. Wholeness is not found through greed. You can't find wholeness through that accumulation of stuff or even giving stuff away. You can only be made whole if you're rich toward God. And it's there that I wanna end. Let me pray that into us. Would you stand with me? So God, we wanna be rich in you. We wanna be rich in you. Would you right now, as we respond to this word, to your word, your challenging, cutting word, would you reveal to us the places that we're banking on, we're subverting uh, that statement by banking on other things on the side? Would you show that to us? 
where, where are we making side bets? God, would you show that to us? God, would you reveal to us where we've allowed darkness to fill our eyes? Where we've looked at things around us and they're lies and they're killing us and we've allowed darkness into how we behave and how we look at you. God, would you convict us of that and fill us with the light of your gracious mercy such that we would see you as our ultimate treasure? God, would you make us a church that is rich in you? We pray in your name, amen. So man, if that is your claim, like if that is your hope, if you are saying, I love, um, I, I, I am rich in God because of the work of Jesus. The only way you can be rich in God, the only way you can come close to him is if he actually takes your sin from you. The only way you can be close to him is that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, laying down his life to cover your sins so you could be right with God. If that's your hope and you uh, say that's your only way that you can be rich with God, then we invite you to come and take communion. The way we take communion is you tear a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. Um, Our servers will have a glass cup with juice and a stoneware cup with wine. And we also have an allergy-free option over here to my right. Um, Servers, you can go ahead and come now. Um, Let me pray that over us, and then we'll come and take communion. So, Father God, thank you that Jesus came all the way where we are needy, where we are broken, where we are sinful. You came and lived a perfect life to rescue us so that we could be made rich in you. There's nothing that we can give you. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing that we can say that would make us right before you. Only falling on the grace that is ours in Jesus does that. So we honor you for that. We bless you for that. We live up under that. We pray that in your name, amen. When you're ready, come and take communion.